1: It's six minutes past the big ol' hour of one o'clock here on KNOTH Radio Nothing, where we play classic Nothingness 24-7. We've had a request from Tony and Eva in Killingly. They say we got engaged last night and we just realized everything is meaningless. Can you play some Sam Beckett for us? Well, this one's for you, you crazy kids.
2: Who may tell the tale of the old man or the absence in a scale Meet want with a span the
3: sum assess of the world's woes, nothingness in words and clothes.
1: That's a little solid gold nothingness from Sam. Hey, guys and girls, has it dawned on you that past, present, and future are totally indistinguishable? Well, our friends at Void, Gulf, and Chasm Non Jewelers are having a special right now. They'll take that expensive watch right off your wrist and give you nothing for it. Don't get mixed up with old pawn shops where they'll tell you reality is made up of something. At Void, Gulf, and Chasm, non-jewelers, they've been specializing in nothing since 1987. I think it's time to step up the pace here. Let's hear one of my all-time favorites, the third movement of John Cage's 433. Wow. Just, wow. I could say more, but, you know, that would be something. In fact, when you get down to it, I shouldn't be doing a show. Doesn't that violate the integrity of nothing? To do a show? I have to think about that. Meanwhile, enjoy this hit sweep of Harold Pinter pauses. And now he was nothing before nothing was cool. Colin McEnroe.
3: I love that radio station, especially when they do the all-Sartre weekend. Um, All right, so we're going to be talking about nothing today, not strictly in the terms that you just heard, although we will not shy away from those terms either. But we will explore it at the level of physics and mathematics and philosophy and religion and culture and anything else that we can find. We're going to do all of that uh, in 49 minutes. I have no idea how, but let me tell you who's on the show today. Uh, Joining us by phone, uh, Jim Holt, philosopher, author, and essayist, regular contributor to The New York Times and The New Yorker. His latest book is Why Does the World Exist? An Existential Detective Story. Also joining us, Ronald Green, writer, philosopher, and expert on linguistics. He's the author of Nothing Matters, a book about nothing. And then uh, in just a few minutes, joining us from the studios of KUCI, I I always do that wrong, KUCI, which is at the University of California, Irvine, James Owen Weatherall, a professor of logic and philosophy of science at UC Irvine, author of the new book, Void, the strange physics of nothing. All right, so we've got a lot of ground to cover. Either that or we don't have any ground to cover at all, Uh, and therein lies the question. But maybe we ought to begin before too many listeners flee away in um, angst and terror. Uh, we ought to begin by just sort of uh, explaining why do a show like this one. I suppose the burden ought to be on me to explain why do a show like this one, but I'll shift it over onto the guest. So Jim Holt, uh, make the case for spending an hour of your life listening to a radio show about nothing. Why is nothing important?
0: Uh, I think that the way that the importance of nothingness dawns on us is when it occurs to us that it's, something, it's somewhat astonishing that there should be a universe at all. You know, many people have this reaction. They look around at this vast universe, this great uh, you know, uh, overflow of being, and they think, why does this exist? Why, why this rather than nothing at all? Nothing would be you know, simpler. There would be nothing to explain. And so it's the astonishment at, at being, at the existence of the world, that puts people in touch if they're, you know, when in, in their contemplative moments, if they're up at 3 a.m. wondering about their existence, with the possibility of sheer nothingness. You know, there might have been nothing. And in a sense, we're kind of lucky that there's a world at all and that we're in it.
3: Right. So uh, back before he became an infamous uh, character, Bill Cosby, when I was a little kid, he had a a, uh, comedy album out called Why Is There Air? And referred to him dating a philosophy major in college. And she would say, why is there air? Say, well, there's air to pump up volleyballs and basketballs, of course. So um, th- it is the kind of question that we, we do ask. Why is there something rather than nothing? So, uh, Ronald Green, I'll put the same burden on you. Uh, why have a one-hour conversation about nothing? For that matter, why devote however much time of your life you devoted to writing a book about nothing? What's so great about nothing?
2: <laughs> I have to tell you, though, that I spent five years on nothing. So okay. um, what, one hour is really I can't even, I can't even start. But um, I, I, don't, I think that um, wh- whatever we are, we are because there is nothing around us. I, I do not think by the way that, uh, that nothing is not complicated. I think nothing is very, very complicated because um, as, as I said, wherever there's something, there is nothing. There cannot be anything without, without nothing to compare it to. So um, this, is, this is an amazing thing. And in fact people have been uh, have been wondering and, and, and struggling to understand the concept of absolute nothingness and um, i I did not understand what everybody was going on about because i couldn 't find nothing Where, wherever i look there's something and, and and everybody was was looking for this thing that I saw everywhere i mean if i have if there's silence that is that is nothingness, that is an absence of sound. Um, and uh, where, where every every gap, if you have a, a Swiss cheese, you have a hole in it that is nothing compared to the cheese around it. but um, the the point is that people were looking for something else. they weren't just looking for that they were they were looking for an absolute nothing, and that's that's where the problem begins. Yeah, and uh, should I carry on for well, another
3: hour or two? Well, yeah, we we would love that, but I'm going to uh, hone right in on one of your specialties. So linguistically, it's an issue too, right? I mean, nothing—it's a noun. It has the word "thing" in it. So there's a problem that we run into right away when we try to talk about nothing, which is that we're automatically talking about something that's implicitly a thing. James Ladyman, the philosopher says if we talk about uh, empty set, uh, the empty set concept in math, well, we're talking about a set anyway. If we talk about the numeral zero, well, we're talking about a number. Uh, if we talk about the concept of nothingness, well, we're talking about a concept. So R- Ronald Green, right away, language the minute we leap into this in the form of language, we're violating some aspect of the idea of nothingness.
2: Well, that's that's the point of what I was doing for for five years, <laughs> trying to solve to, trying to solve that problem. And and you're right. The second we talk about nothing, we're talking about something. We we cannot we cannot get a, get away from that. But but there, But if I if I get to the, to the to the bottom line if If I may at this early stage what i what i what I discovered was that there are actually two nothings so, sorry about that mm-hmm. but there is there is what I call nothingness, which is the absence of something as i said uh uh space or 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 lack of sound etc., et etc cetera, et cetera. all that is something something that we can feel we understand that the lack of something, even, even animals know when there, is, when there is nothing, that nothingness. But the point about what I call nothing with a capital N is the, um, is, is the, the absence of everything.
1: Mm-hmm. Now,
2: the absence of everything is the dodgy thing. And, and you're right that we can't talk about the absence of everything because the absence of everything includes us. And and as soon as we get to that, that, that's it. And that is is the basis of my research. But but you're right. When we talk about it, we have a problem because we are talking about something. And nothingness and absence is something. For for example, um, if you you go into into a house where somebody had died uh, and you knew that person, you feel his absence. You feel him still there that is something that is the that is what i call nothingness the absence of something and that's all around us and when i when i said in the beginning that there i never found nothing that there there is no there is no nothing per se there is no vacuum there's no empty space there's always something and the the, the nothing the absence of everything is the huge problem it is the absence of everything, including ourselves, that we cannot talk about. The fact that I have to talk about it is that I have to use words. Unfortunately, I have nothing else. even if even though I spent the next uh, forty nine minutes in silence, that would not be nothing, the absence of everything. It would just be the absence of sound. Right, and it would, be okay.
3: you, it would be you not doing something, which is still a thing. All right, I don't want to get too lost in. There's so many weeds for us to get lost in. I want to just jump from patch to patch. Uh, before I go back over to Jim, uh, let's hear Adam Conover from Adam Ruins Everything, a terrific podcast, talking about how we mere mortals who are not uh, famous writers or linguists struggle with this very notion of nothing.
0: You are going to die. It's difficult even to imagine, isn't it? Take a moment and try to picture what it's like to not exist. You can't do it. You're imagining darkness, black. But there will be no black. There will be no color, because there will be no you to perceive it. And your mind recoils from that idea. It's simply unable to conceive of its own non-existence. And so it concludes that you'll live forever but you won't all things end all motion slows all heat becomes cold life is an eddy in that current of entropy a brief chemical reaction that lights up the darkness and then its fuel spent dissipates back to nothing
3: all right so um jim holt um uh Ronald Green has led us into so many interesting uh, bits of terrain. Uh, we could go straight to Sartre based on what he said. But I think we have to begin by saying that, you know, the ancient f- ancients for, I don't know, maybe a couple of thousand years— one way of dealing with this, the uncomfortableness of nothing, particularly at the level uh, of philosophical inquiry that could be boiled down to what kinds of things are there. One way of dealing that with that is to not acknowledge that there is any nothing; that there there might be some space between the table and the chair, but that there's things in that space. So uh, my understanding is it's kind of a long time before anybody important is really willing to talk about nothing, particularly at the Ronald Green level.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Ronald Green just illustrated some of the dangers of talking about nothing or nothingness, because um, I was very impressed with what he said. But ultimately, I have to say that I view it as a very eloquent, stylish sort of uh, gibberish, (laughs) <laughs> um, and confusing the state of nothingness in which nothing exists, which is not the state of reality. In reality, there's very obviously something. There's a universe around us. And then the word nothing, which is, which means not anything, and is no, no more mysterious than the word nobody, which means not anyone. And if you start talking about... Nothing and nobody, as though they're names for entities, you get involved in all kinds of uh, uh, kind of rather, you know amusing but pointless puzzles, like the uh, the Red King and uh, Alice in Wonderland. He said, you know if nobody passed the messenger on the road, then nobody must have arrived first well that 's clearly a fallacious reasoning, but anyway, so yeah, the very concept of nothingness is a, a relatively modern one. Um, if you go back to the uh, ancient Greeks to the ancient Hebrews, they had no Notion of a state of absolute nothingness, a state in which nothing at all existed. And if you look at the creation myths, they, they, the creation myths always involve a deity or a demiurge bringing the world into existence out 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 of some pre-existing stuff, some sort of primal stuff, some sort of primal uh, chaos. So, no, there's no notion of absolute nothingness. It's only when you get into the Christian era around the uh the 3rd century uh common era after after the after Jesus that you have theologians talking about God being so powerful that he could bring a world into existence out of sheer nothingness he doesn't need any pre-existing material so now we have an idea of God creating the world out of nothing but we still don't have nothingness because God is in the picture and you know the the thinking is that God exists necessarily God exists eternally so there, there's always something. And so it was finally in the, uh, in the uh, 18th century. By the way, please interrupt me. Uh, I have no idea how succinct uh, well, it should be. Well, actually, I, like I, this all day. I, I am
3: going to interrupt you because, yeah, uh, we, have, we have to, uh, somehow or other, we have to fit all of this into 49 minutes. So, uh, Ronald Green, I want to come back to you. Uh, so, uh, as Jim Holt is vaulting us across these centuries, one thing that stays kind of consistent is that if you have a theory of knowledge, a theory of reality, that contravenes the understanding of the established church that's a rather dangerous place to be, and so maybe it's uh, difficult for people to understand r- right now uh, how dicey it could be to be running around talking about nothing. Uh, nothing bumped up against uh, an awful lot of established theology. Maybe you can enlarge upon that.
2: Yeah, um, first of all, uh, it, in, my, in, in what I, in my opinion. Um, it is absolutely essential to deal with uh, the absence of everything, because uh, philosophers and scientists as well have been have been mixing up these two terms. And to say that, uh, that that nothing is part of reality is exactly what I've been saying. Nothing is not part of reality. Nothing is where we are not. And when you have somebody like. Uh, Lawrence Krauss, and I know, I know Jim's op- opinion here, um, talks about a universe from nothing. He's trying to be clever and saying that the universe came from nothing and then admits, well, it doesn't really mean nothing. He means nothing with things in it. Now, I, I object to that most strongly. A universe did not come from nothing. It, uh, nothing is where we are not. I, I, I know I've said that about three times. It is not part of reality. In that, I, I agree with Jim, and that is the point. It is not. It is not part of what we can understand. And death. And I, I'll, I'll come to religion later, but that's that's very very important. Uh, death is the absence of life. But to be dead, to be dead is nothing. To be dead, we cannot we cannot imagine. And and it's and it's that that nothing which I I have posited a a metaphorical nothing gene. The point that is we, we cannot envisage us not being. We we, we, we can't do it. Right. If we could do that, the horror of it and it's not even that we just wouldn't get out of bed.
3: all right i I don't want to, don't want to get too bogged down exactly. in all that could we just ronald green could we just go back to the this issue of the risk religion the the risk yeah the pushback from religion uh when over the centuries people tried to talk about nothing
2: yeah uh no jim is uh jim is 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 right that um, uh, nothing became a became a threat actually round about round about about the ninth around about ninth century in Europe, when the when Arabs uh, introduced the numeral system that included zero. And zero, uh, the, the Christian, the uh, church, was an absolute no-no because they associated zero with nothing. Zero is not nothing. The Arabs un- understood that, and they, they brought in the numerical system with with nothing in it and uh, and uh, and the europe the Muslim Europe did not uh, sorry european uh, europe did not, did not accept that, and it held back civilization believe it or not for, for about six hundred years. <laughs> they did not accept zero as nothing there are, there are a couple of reasons there are theological reasons that that Jim mentioned the fact that you can't if there's god. You can't have nothing, and uh, if God created the world from nothing, then nothing—that there, there is no nothing—because because there's a world, and it was it was a huge threat to the to, to the to the to the church, also because of external things. There were there were fighting on all fronts r- round about the, the the Middle Ages, with the the Crusades and Luther, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera anybody who brought in the heresy of something like nothing was uh, punished quite badly in fact killed right
3: you could be burned at the stake for uh, for this whole idea uh, of nothing and in jim holt we think of that as something that persists you know, we certainly into the 17th century, and we'll come back to that in a second. But it keeps going. I mean, I think you, you write about uh, Karl Barth, the Swiss theologian, a much more modern figure, but a guy who still is defining nothing or nothingness as evil. What's evil about nothingness, Jim Holt?
0: Yeah, uh, Karl Barth, who was a uh, you know, great Swiss theologian, the greatest theological figure of the 20th century, had a very peculiar idea of nothing. He thought nothing is what God doesn't will. And so when God created the world... Being and nothingness came into existence at the same time, and so nothing for him is a sort of satanic thing. Now, I, once again, I think that's a, a lovely poetical conceit. Uh, it I, I find it pleasant to contemplate, but um, it's uh, it, it's it's once again making nothing into a name for something, which gets you into conceptual trouble immediately. Uh, and um, I want to resist that because I I think that. There is a genuine question of why reality turned out to be a great plenitude of somethingness rather than a state in which nothing exists and I think you know that's a very clear way of talking about an interesting philosophical issue and when I when I read the existentialists, when I read uh, Martin Heidegger and Jean-Paul Sartre, you know, Heidegger talks about nothing as though it's a great annihilating force. It's like a big cosmic vacuum cleaner that's threatening to suck everything into non-existence. And, and Sartre, uh, when he goes into the, the Café de Flore in Paris and he's expecting to see Pierre there, but Pierre didn't show up. And, aha, a little pool of nothingness. And so I think, you know, this is a fanciful poetical way to look at uh, re- look upon reality but I don't think it it really uh, advances our conceptual understanding or a scientific understanding or a philosophical understanding very much.
3: Um, I want to add to the conversation now, um, James Owen Weatherall, who is the author of the recent book Void, The Strange Physics of Nothing, because I think it's important to pause here and say this was a problem for scientists undertaking this question, certainly as late as the 17th century. As you write, Leibniz, Leibniz, who's like this amazing guy. He's just this polymath. You know, he's, I think, mainly educated as a lawyer, but he just tackles everything. He tackles, he tries to tackle pretty much everything that Newton is tackling. But James uh, Owen Weatherall, he's got a problem with this idea that there could be kind of stuff that God left blank, right? He, he, this notion that God didn't fill in all the spaces is troubling even to a pretty otherwise scientific mind.
4: That's right. So Leibniz has this idea that uh, the only possibility consistent with God's infinite goodness is that uh, he's created the best of all possible worlds. And he thinks that if God were to have created a world in which there was a region that wasn't filled with anything, then he could have created a better world by filling that region with some good stuff of some sort. I mean, whatever your favorite thing is, maybe the... Leibniz cookies you can get in Germany. Uh, And so Leibniz had this idea that although it was in some sense possible for there to be a region of the world in which there was nothing, uh, the actual world could never uh, be like that.
3: All right. So... um I think we have to just pause, particularly because my head is spinning, and also maybe the listeners' heads are spinning, and also because we just flat out have to pause. I want to come back and deal with the physics of this at greater length. Uh, when I'm sure you just can't wait for that. But no, we're going to make it relatively digestible. Uh, so we'll do that after this break. What did you feel?
1: And I said nothing. I'm feeling nothing. And he says nothing. could get on. Something. But I felt nothing except the feeling that this was absurd
3: but I said to myself, hey, it's only the first
0: What is nothing? Just big, expansive emptiness.
1: I don't know what nothing is, but I think about it a lot, actually.
3: So I think nothing. so if we think of like infinity and we think of nothing, I think they're kind of both the same thing because they're both abstractions for something that we can't understand. So from that standpoint, like, nothing could be sort of like the anti-infinity.
1: Nothing is the absence of something. I think about, like, space and, like, a void of things, like maybe beyond our um, universe.
4: Blackness, darkness, which is also something. But I guess we use it to try to figure out what the absence of something is which is nothing, but then that is, of course, something.
3: Nothing is, I don't think nothing exists,
4: actually, because everything is made up of something.
3: That's Josh Nilea, the producer of the show, going around our newsroom uh, talking to our reporters about nothing. And by the way, that was your call that they weren't answering because they are too busy talking about nothing. All right, so we're talking about nothing today, too. Uh, we're talking about it uh, with three terrific guests. Ronald Green, a writer, philosopher, and expert on linguistics, the author of Nothing Matters, a book about nothing. We're going to um, be coming back to Ronald to talk a lot about how this shows up in uh, culture. Um, uh, but right now we're going to be talking about physics with Jim Holt, philosopher, author, essayist, uh, most recent book, Why Does the World Exist? An Existential Detective Story, and James Owen Weatherall, a professor of logic and philosophy of science at UC. Or UC Irvine. I have so many so many problems. I can't say the name of the station, which is K-U-C-I, uh, or the name of the college. His new book is called Void, The Strange Physics of Nothing. All right. So this is going to be a little bit hard, and it's way above my uh, pay grade anyway. But um, James Owen Weatherall, we're going to have to, just for the purposes of time, compress an awful lot. So, you know, Newton uh, sort of thinks that they're there might be sort of empty space, right? I mean there are objects, they have to move around in something. They can't move around if there's like other stuff there. So does 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 Newton imagine that there are parts of reality that are essentially nothing?
4: Well, so what what you need to understand is that Newton and Leibniz as we discussed right before the the break were trying to confront a problem that had a very old history, the problem of how to understand how stuff, ordinary things, tables, chairs, the planets uh, move. And Newton in particular wanted to give a mathematical theory of motion. Um, You know, this is Newton's laws of motion. This is what we learn about in high school physics. Uh, But he realized that in order to do this, he needed to do something that his contemporaries, other 17th century physicists had some trouble getting right, um, which was to give a, a story give some account of what the structure of space would be like uh, if there were no things in it. Um, and then once he had that, once he was able to describe what that would be like, he uh, was able to then give precise mathematical laws that described how stuff does move uh, in that space. And so, yes, he he did need to un- conceive of the possibility uh, of a world with nothing in it and describe mathematically what that would be like, what sorts of things, for instance, could be true in such a world.
3: Right, and it's actually a pretty, it's sort of easier for us, I think, to conceive of what he's talking about than what we're going to be asked to conceive with, of in the next five minutes or so. So um, so let's uh, talk about that. So Jim Holt, um, uh, poor, poor Newton. I mean, obviously one of the most brilliant men who ever lived, but most of what, uh, James was just talking about doesn't really hold up in the 20th and 21st centuries, right?
0: Hmm, um, yeah. Well, I mean, so, the big disagreement between Newton and Leibniz, who were great intellectual antagonists, they both you know, independently invented the calculus and so forth. N- Newton believed that you could have empty, a- empty space and it, was, it, it still existed. Leibniz said if you get rid of all the stuff in space, there's nothing left because space is just a matter of relations between objects that actually exist. You take away all the objects, all the planets, all the galaxies, all the atoms, space goes with it. Now we know that space has a sort of reality. Uh, it, space is is a physical object that has, uh, you know, uh, a topology. It has uh, uh, intrinsic energy. There's a lot of stuff going on in empty space. There's, you know, a vacuum is know how we think of, in temporal terms, as nothingness. But a vacuum is a, is the quantum vacuum. The vacuum described by contemporary quantum physics is a place where a lot of stuff is going on. Virtual particles are popping into existence and then annihilating themselves. And it has an energy level. And indeed, empty space can give rise to uh, to particles that persist for some time. Empty space can even give rise to you know, a, a universe under certain conditions. So, you know, now we're, we're talking about something that's very, very distinct from the old classical philosophical concept of nothingness. So you have to be very careful when someone talks about nothing in physical terms. They don't mean what philosophers and theologians were talking about when they talked about nothing. They mean a quantum vacuum that's... It's like, you know, I, I often say, when my bank account is empty, the bank account is still there. And uh, a quantum vacuum is, there's there's a lot more going on in the quantum vacuum than in my empty bank account, and neither has anything to do with nothingness.
3: Right. So, uh, James Weatherall, I, you know, there are a lot of different ways to describe this. Alan Lightman r- refers to it as jittering, uh, that uh, in these fields, uh, uh, there's just stuff that's jittering. It's, it, nothing is really dormant because uh, subatomic particles like electrons and antiparticles like positrons, um, they appear, they disappear in the ways that Jim Holt's saying. So does that wreck the idea of nothingness? Does it mean you just can't find any place in the universe where there's nothing?
4: Well, the real thing to to understand, I think, is that um, our, our concept of nothing, our understanding of nothing has developed along with physics. And so, you know, when we talk about the old philosophical idea of nothing, it turns out there were lots of old philosophical ideas of nothing. Aristotle had his, Democritus had his, uh, Epicurus had his, um, Newton and Leibniz had theirs, um, and They developed their ideas in order to try to do the best physics that they could. Um, Later physicists, James Clerk Maxwell, a Scottish physicist, um, uh, Einstein, um, some of the the people who have worked on our modern theory of of matter, quantum field theory, people like Richard Feynman, um, had to come up with new notions of nothing in order to do the work that they needed in physics, And so, yes, what, what Jim Holt says uh, about the way we understand nothing or the way we understand what the world would be like if there were no stuff in modern particle physics and the theory known as quantum field theory um, doesn't have a whole lot in common with how Aristotle thought about nothing. Uh, but, you know, there's good reason for that. It turns out that empty space has all sorts of properties um, can Influence the behavior of ordinary matter, changes things. You know, can even produce forces under some circumstances, that uh, just force us to to reimagine what we uh, previously understood nothing to be. Well, Jim Holt, uh, were the
3: ancients wrong, or were they kind of right? So, you know, again and again, not even just the ancients, but but you know, certainly up to Descartes and beyond. You have you have people trying to describe what's there when there isn't. A big something there. And so they come up with these terms like ether, plenum, quintessence, that there's this, you know, that, that there may not be a bald eagle uh, or a, a sofa there, but there's there's something that you kind of have to wade through to get to the next really big, hard, strong something. Um, and I don't know, how different is that from field theory? How different from that? Is, is that from the Higgs field? The, that Yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I would dissent from what what uh, James Weatherall said there. I believe I don't think this is an evolving concept of nothingness. The, the, so the quantum vacuum is not only something, but it's something that is governed by physical laws. And w- we can now ask, what are these physical laws? What is their ontological status? Are they if they're simply descriptions of what's going on in a quantum vacuum, then uh, you know that that's one possibility, but physicists talk about them as though they are sort of external things that you know forcing the quantum vacuum to behave in a certain way. The same way you can look at the laws of gra- the law of gravitation, you can say that the planets that are moving around the sun in our solar system are obeying the law of gravity. Um, and so physicists, in a sense, are operating with a kind of almost a theological notion of what laws are. Laws are, you know, somehow. Things that exist not in the same way that space and time and matter and particles exist, but they do exist in some sense, and they govern the way reality unfolds so this is you know we're we're even farther away from the notion of absolute nothingness than ever. not only do we have a world some parts of which are vacuumed, but the, but the vacuum the vacuum is sort of seething with activity, we also have. Uh, the laws of quantum field theory or the laws of whatever, you know, the state-of-the-art science is that's governing the way this reality works. So we've got a very, very rich reality and it's, you know, it, it, there's, there's nothing in it. I'm not trying to pun here. I'm just getting caught up in language. There's nothing in it that has anything to do with nothingness. Nothingness is a completely different – you can imagine reality, reality might have turned out to be a state of absolute nothingness. Then there would be not only no space, no time, no matter. There would also be no laws but you know this is the simplest way reality could have turned out but it sure didn't turn out that way it turned out to be a great you know uh, uh, overflowing of being and the, the really interesting question is will reality ultimately be seen to encompass everything every possibility and i would you know would suggest that the history of science shows that reality is always more encompassing than we imagine it to be so there, there's a there's a, it may turn out that reality is everything the most uh, a distantly removed thing from nothingness.
3: All right. So, James Witherall, uh, you may have your own uh, response ready for that, but I, I'm about to ask in, from my state of profound ignorance a question that may contain, you know, three or four falsehoods in it. Um, so, But here's my question based on what he just said. So, you know, one thing that we're actually going to be doing a show, we're going to make tomorrow a day of rest, talk about the Wright brothers, thursday we 're doing a show about multiverses, so we have this idea that everything that can happen does happen uh, and and that I think you alluded to the fact that even in one of these kind of quasi empty states, an entire universe uh, could be born. Uh, if that were the case there 's no particular reason that the laws Jim Holt is just talking about would exist in that new universe so uh, so i don 't know I mean is, there, can, is it possible under those circumstances to say well as Jim Holt just did. Well, there's always going to be laws anyway, The laws that, that that matter and existence have to follow.
4: You know, we're getting into uh, pretty deep territory yes. here. I mean, I think you can conceive of very different notions of possibility here. There's on the one hand what you might think of as physical possibility. There's other ideas like metaphysical possibility and logical possibility. Um, and You know, I I tend to think that we have very, very little control over what is metaphysically possible, say. We have more control over what's physically possible, and um, we can ask within the context of our best physical theories, what sorts of configurations of the world those theories allow? Uh, And there, the laws are what do the work. The laws are what tell us uh, what um, kinds of possibilities might be realized in, in nature, Um, We can, of course, ask, could the laws have been different? Uh, But I think when we do that, we are um, wandering into territory where we really have no control at all. Um, We're asking how many angels can dance on the head of a pin.
3: All right. So let me just uh, work on winding up this segment. So, Jim Holt, if I'm reading you correctly, uh, and I may not be, um, we're we're never going to get pure nothing, right? There's always going to be something?
0: No. I mean— there are all these different ways reality might have turned out. One way reality might have turned out is nothing at all. No laws, no space, no time, no matter, nothing. Another way reality could have turned out is everything possible could have existed. That's the richest reality. The, the nothing reality is the simplest reality. And in between, there are all kinds of intermediate realities, and we seem to seem to be living in one of those intermediate realities. And in some of those intermediate realities have special properties one possible uh, reality is one is the is the you know the uh, one alluded to earlier leibniz's best of all possible worlds that doesn't seem to be our reality another reality is the most mathematically elegant reality and i would say that doesn't seem to be our reality either because if you look at the standard model of particle physics, it's kind of a mess. It's kind of a, a sticked bubblegum contraption with too many families of particles and too many arbitrary constants and so forth. So we live in this sort of, you know, mediocre, messy, partly orderly uh, reality that has a little, you know, beauty and ugliness and good and evil, and it's intermediate between a state of absolute nothingness and the richest possible reality where everything exists. And and uh, you know that that's how I see it, and I think that's a, kind of a useful way for letting the philosophical discussion proceed.
3: All right. So, uh, James Owen Weatherall, obviously, uh, I'm going to try to force you into doing a spoiler uh, on your own book, Void, The Strange Physics of Nothing. But once we go all the way through this tunnel, where do we come out? Uh, I'll ask you the same question I asked Jim Holt. Do we ever get to pure nothingness?
4: Well, I think that um, one thing is certainly clear. It's that in both of our two best physical theories right now. On the one hand, quantum field theory, um, the standard model of particle physics is uh, an example of a quantum field theory. Uh, On the other hand, general relativity, Einstein's great theory of gravity uh, from the beginning of the 20th century. These are our two best theories of physics right now. And we have been trying for 70 years to put them together without having a whole lot of success. And I think that what's, what's really clear is that in both of those theories, uh, what we mean by empty space, what we mean by no matter, um, uh, is completely different from either what we think of pre-theoretically or what we understood in Newtonian gravitation. And most importantly, it's very different from one another. These two theories are very different from one another in how they conceive of um, uh, the absence of matter, of empty space. And one of the puzzles that we now confront in physics is finding a conception of nothingness that uh, allows us to fit those two theories together, really to come up with a notion of what it would be like if there were no stuff in the same way that Newton had to, in the same way that Einstein had to, the same way that Feynman had to, um, uh, that's going to allow us to move forward in physics.
3: All right. Well, we definitely want to move forward in physics right now. We're going to move forward in time. Uh, thanks very much to Jim Holt and James Owen Weatherall. Owen we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Ronald Green. We're going to talk about how this shows up in 20th and 21st century culture as we begin to contemplate nothingness. Believe, believe
2: nothing. You got
1: Is such a difficult concept. Why don't we do a show about not muchingness? Not muchingness is everywhere. Nothing was produced by Josh Naleya and me, Kyone Wolf. Our intern, Zeppo Fisher, neither added nor subtracted from nothing. The part of Bill Curry does not exist. All of our shows are available at WNPR.org/slash Colin. On tomorrow's show, the Wright brothers had a sister. And now, back to Colin.
3: And that's all we're telling you for now. Is the the Wright Brothers had a sister, Uh, but uh, uh, stay tuned for that show. That may be as rich with controversy as uh, this show about nothing and nothingness has been. Uh, We're back with Ronald Green, writer, philosopher, and expert on linguistics. He's the author of Nothing Matters, a book about nothing. So Tolstoy says, how then shall we live? And with all this nothing floating around and this idea of nothingness, it's not just Sartre who's freaked out by not finding Pierre in the cafe. We're all freaked out at one level or another by nothingness. And it turns up Uh, Well, actually, let's just stay there for a second. Uh, uh, Ronald Green, there's something in the human temperament that is uncomfortable with the notion of nothingness. It it sometimes even feels like it's the villain in the piece.
2: Yeah, well, this is the point. First of all, may I address some issues that um, I was keeping very quiet with difficulty? All right.
3: Well, if you do, we're going to run out of time. If you do, we're going to run out of time.
2: No, 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 no. I was sitting very quietly while uh, Jim and James were talking, and, they, and if I may address some of those issues. Well,
3: just do it really fast, because I really do want to just talk in ways that people okay, do experience this stuff. First,
2: yeah. Okay. Um, I, I just, I just want to say that uh, they won't like any anything that I would say now, if you, if you give me the time, because they seem to have taken out humans from any science whatsoever to take to talk about a world or universe that is empty, it does, does not make sense. A universe cannot be empty if we're there. And to talk about reality without, without humans... I, I don't, I don't understand
3: it. I would agree to that point, and it's, it's certainly there in in everything about quantum, right? Quantumness is is made necessary. Quantum reality is conditional on, on perception, on some entity perceiving, right. and and, right. and and that's there in Sartre too. Sartre basically says nothingness only exists as a human perception. You know, he says if an earthquake destroys a city, that's what we say it destroyed a city. It didn't really destroy everything, but we perceive it that way. We perceive nothingness that way. But so if we, if I we, you thought- yeah, go ahead.
2: But the point, the, the point of taking away nothing and sweeping it under the, under the, under the carpet to say that the, the concept of the absence of everything is not important, it's just a play with words, is not true. Because uh, the, Heidegger and Hegel and Sartre, etc., Aristotle, all of them w- did not get to anything about nothing because they were, they were completely mixed up. They did not understand the difference between the difference of something and the difference of everything. And uh, if you want to talk about culture, as as you mentioned before, the urge of, of humans to get to nothing, that that is the basis of life. That if we can take away enough stuff, we will actually get to what life is about. It's the urge to get to the absence of everything. And that and that's what happened in in art, especially in the in the fifties and the sixties with conceptual art, that they took away more and more and more and, until till we got things like black squares ad ad, ad, ad ad Reinhardt did black squares over and over again for five years. By the way, he committed suicide, and I'm not surprised he 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 wanted to get to the essence. He couldn't because all he got to was a black square, which is nothingness. What I call nothingness. It, it is the absence of of anything else apart from that black square. He wanted to get to nothing, to the absence of everything. He couldn't because he was there. Right. And so, and, to, uh, and to sweep it under the carpet and say it is not important is absolutely wrong. Yeah, okay, I, I wanna get to about. we're almost
3: out of time in the show. I wanna get you to talk a little bit. There are sort of in the in the world of the humanities and nothingness uh, sitting Sartre, okay, there's four S's, the four S's of, uh, of nothingness in the humanities. Uh, we can start with Shakespeare. Uh, Shakespeare talks about nothing all the time. It's there uh, in Macbeth. It's there uh, in, in Hamlet. He wrote an entire play called Much Ado About Nothing. That's not really about nothing. Uh, and it's certainly there in Lear. I'm, I'm sure somebody wrote a doctoral thesis about all the ways all the characters use the word nothing and what they mean by it, which is sometimes different. So let's hear the most famous exchange from Lear. But now, our joy, although our last and least, to whose young love the vines of France and milk of Burgundy strive to be interest, what can you say to draw a third more opulent than your sisters? Speak.
1: Nothing, my lord.
3: Nothing? Nothing. Nothing will come of nothing.
0: Speak again.
3: All right, so that's Shakespeare. The next S, of course, is Seinfeld.
0: So everybody I know is a character on the show. Right.
3: And it's about nothing. Absolutely nothing. So you're saying I go into NBC and tell them I got this idea for a show about nothing. We go into NBC. We? Since when are you a writer? What writer? We're talking about a sitcom. You want to go with me to NBC? Yeah, All right, the famous show about nothing concept. Then we've got Sartre and then Ronald Green, we've got Samuel Beckett, who I'm cheating and making him an S. But so here's this playwright who really is something of a prophet of nothingness. We're troubled by nothingness, we'd rather not have to deal with it in our backyard. So he plants it right in our backyard. Yes. And, go ahead.
2: Yes, he do, he he does. But because that's exactly what I say. What he does, he uses he uses nothingness, what I call nothingness, the absence of something, in a, in a very specific way, which is something. His, his nothingness is not nothing. It is something. He uses it. Instead of words, he puts in gaps. And that's, that's exactly my point. Uh, uh, when, when Jim talked about reality, what, what reality could there possibly be if, there, if there's nobody in the world at all? For whom is reality? I don't understand science that talks about the possibility of an empty world. There cannot be an empty world if there's one thing in it. And the one thing in it would be us. If, if, we, if, if everything is taken away from the world, which, which artists try to do, and there's one thing left, which is you, right? And you're looking out, there's nothing there at all. Are you looking at nothing? The absence of everything. Or are you looking at nothingness? Of course, you are not looking at nothing—the absence of everything—because you're there. Right. The 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 moment the moment you disappear, that's it.
3: So Beckett's, it, car- Beckett's characters, I think, it's more that they're they're playing in this field in which yes. it's not so much that there's nothing because there's a field and there's characters and they're playing, but what they're playing with is that, of course, famous refrain: "Nothing to be done." That that the idea that they won't materially alter the giant truths of reality by any particular human effort.
2: Correct. But it's, it's all, it all is an absence of something. It is, it is surrounded by something else. Uh, not, not, nothingness, the absence of something is always relative to something else. It has to be, it has to be. And that is, that is, that is essential and it's essential essentially not. It, it's why artists could not get to nothing. It doesn't matter how, doesn't matter what they did. If you put a black square somewhere, it is surrounded by either canvas or a wall or something. That is not nothing.
3: Or John Cage's 433, which is, of course, a 4-minute-and-33 uh, composition of silence. But the notion of that, I think, is other things are intruding into the silence, that the silence is Definitely. a way of hearing everything else.
2: Definitely. Even if, even if, nothing, even if nothing was, there, there was still something there. I mean, you saw it. I mean, and first of all, you heard the
3: silence, right? You've got you actually you've got, hear it. Yes, right. You've got musicians. You hear the silence, and there is no real such thing as silence, anyway. Um, I, I think Cage's idea is that in, in in orchestral silence, the the rest of sound intrudes. That there's always sound in the yes, background. Definitely. We we are going to have to end this conversation here. Uh, Whether you're happy about that or not is, of course, a personal matter. Ronald Green is a writer, philosopher, and expert on linguistics. He's the author of Nothing Matters, a book about nothing. Tomorrow, the Wright Brothers. There'll be no homework, no studying required. We're probably going to introduce the whole Gustav Whitehead thing, so there'll be tears, but a different kind of tears. (laughs) On Thursday, the multiverse.
1: Welcome to Cafe Nada. What can I get you?
4: Uh, yeah, I'd like a small coffee, no cream.
1: I'm sorry, we're out of cream. How about with no milk?
4: No, thanks.